It is Wednesday, August 9th, 2023, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. Today, relief payments to help the ones who kept us fed during the COVID-19 pandemic. Most people don't realize is that a lot of times farm workers cannot put food on their own tables. Plus, a camp in Bentonville for children of any and all faiths. So we call these exploring or wonder sessions. They have conversation, but we're not here to teach. We're not here to convert. And a podcast festival for podcasters of all experience levels. Every time we go to a new location to go speak about podcasting, whatever the situation is, the most common questions that we still get every time is, I have an idea for a podcast, but I haven't settled on what it needs to be about. That and so much more after the news from NPR. Best Friends Animal Society is working with members of our community to save the lives of homeless pets in shelters across Arkansas and the nation. The Resource Center in Bentonville offers adoptable pets, volunteer opportunities, or sign up to provide a foster home to an animal in need. Plus food pantry, dog wash, and a weekly vaccine and microchip clinic. More at bestfriends.org slash NWA. KUAF is partnering with local McDonald's owner-operators to bring you the KUAF Lunch Hour Summer Concert Series. Tiny, desk-styled concerts at different McDonald's locations across northwest Arkansas, the River Valley, and the Green Country. These concerts lead up to the Lunch All Day Mini Festival in September. Upcoming performances include artist-designer Tylo May, August 18th in Fort Smith, and the Little Rock-based duo Daz and Bree performs September 1st in Fayetteville. KUAF.com slash summer concerts for more. This is Ozarks at Large for Wednesday, August 9th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. This is 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Later this hour, we'll learn about the inaugural Northwest Arkansas Friend Camp. Local faith leaders representing Baha'i, Jewish, Islam, Christian, Cherokee, Buddhist, Hindu, and other faiths discussed values like kindness. First... The government has officially declared an end to the public health emergency exacerbated by COVID-19. Now, the Department of Agriculture is offering a relief grant program designed to aid workers in America's food system. Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith has more. Farm and food workers, including frontline workers at food processing, packing facilities, and even grocery store employees, are eligible for a one-time $600 stimulus from qualifying organizations. They must have worked sometime during January 2020 and when the U.S. ended the public health emergency last March. Essential food workers also must have incurred expenses during that time to be eligible. Rodrigo Richardson is the spokesperson for the United Migrant Opportunity Services, or UMOS, and they're one of the organizations distributing this funding. During the height of the pandemic, uh, the federal government deemed farm workers and meatpackers as essential workers. Now, farm workers and meatpackers are essential components to this country's food supply chain. Workers must have spent at least $600 in COVID-19-related expenses for items such as personal protective equipment, masks, testing, costs for quarantine, as well as child or elder care during the pandemic. Because these workers were deemed essential, it is the federal government deemed that it is essential that their costs be reimbursed for the hard work that they did and still do to put food on our tables every single day. 
Richardson says the program is important to recognize and compensate essential workers for their expenses and sacrifices, especially because these workers are some of the lowest paid laborers in America and are typically not reimbursed for loss of work. When there is a drought or when there is too much rain or when there is inclement weather, um, through the USDA Farm Bill, you know, farmers, the farm owners, will get reimbursed because the loss of their crops. Well, the farm workers do not get reimbursed for their loss of wages because they can't work because of inclement weather. So we are gratified that these essential workers are being recognized and they've been recognized in a way where they are receiving some relief payments for the sacrifices that they made that benefited all of us. The stimulus will be available for two years after its commencement last March. But organizations like UMOS suggest applying as early as possible since the application process is first come, first serve. There were a lot of deaths, certainly illnesses and deaths to the in, within the farm worker and the meatpacker community simply because at times uh, before employers were able to adjust to this uh, unprecedented, unprecedented situation, um, there were some unsafe conditions. And because this population was considered uh, essential workers, they had to continue to go to work every day. They did not have the luxury like some of us uh, had uh, where we could work remotely. They had to show up to work every day. And in doing so, that presented a hardship and sometimes a financial hardship simply because expenses incurred were not reimbursed. Dr. Cynthia Galvan, outreach coordinator for UMOS, says families are depending on checks to keep them afloat after a costly and lengthy public health emergency. She says they feel appreciated, but... There is a need um, that many of the families are dealing with food insecurity and housing insecurity and just um, trying to stay afloat with expenses, everyday expenses. And so this is relief money is a token for them to be able to feel like they're not drowning anymore, that it's going to come in and and support them um, for even if it's just for a short period of time. Dr. Galvan shares what workers she talked to were planning to spend their money on, or most importantly, not spend it on. I was um, in Oklahoma talking to some farm workers as they were waiting in line to uh, apply for the relief. I said, just to strike up a conversation with them, I said, well, what would you be doing with this money once you receive it, if you wish to share? And And one of them said, I'm going to save it for a rainy day because rainy days mean we don't get paid. I also spoke with Lady Rangel, who is the communications director for the United Food and Commercial Workers Foundation. She says many undocumented food workers weren't eligible for various forms of pandemic assistance. The vast majority of farm workers did not receive paid sick leave, but were classified as essential workers during the pandemic. Additionally, the COVID-19 Congress relief packages failed to provide pandemic assistance to millions of undocumented persons, many of whom pay taxes, and many of them who are, in, who are farm workers. Um, we know that at least half of the farm worker population is undocumented. 
She also says that unlike other workers who went home or quarantined at the height of COVID, food workers could not. Instead, they had to work on fields, farms, or factories where they were exposed to the virus at the workplace, provided their own PPE, and were not always able to follow social distancing guidelines. Also, farm workers do not qualify for overtime pay at the federal level. They typically receive low wages and they experience poor working conditions. And so I think that assisting them through this program, giving them the $600 really is a thank you for all that you had to endure during the pandemic. You know, you can't harvest an apple through Zoom and they can't stay home. They had to keep showing up. And so this is only a way to show up for them now. Richardson reemphasizes the sacrifices many low-income and undocumented workers make to keep the national food chain afloat. We see this as recognition funding in that recognition for the work that the farm workers and meat packers do in that if you just think, whenever you go to your grocery store, most people don't give any thought at all to how did that food get there. Well, this is recognition for the work that farm workers and meat packers do to get the food to your grocery shelf in that they put food on our tables every day, but what most people don't realize is that a lot of times farm workers cannot put food on their own tables. You can find all the details about what information is needed to apply on our website, ozarksatlarge.com. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Rachel Sanchez-Smith. The author of the upcoming book, The Life and Death of the American Worker, will speak on the University of the Ozarks campus in Clarksville this autumn. The school announced the talk from Alice Driver is part of the upcoming 2023-24 Walton Arts and Ideas series that takes place at the school. Driver spent the past three years reporting on workers at the largest meatpacking company in the United States as they grieved loved ones lost to COVID and struggling to pay medical bills. She'll be on the U of O campus Thursday, November 2nd. The 2023-24 Walton Arts and Ideas series begins September 14th with the Foreign Tongues Poetry Troupe. Say that five times fast. Also on this year's schedule, Dick Durance, National Geographic photographer, Marana, Middle Eastern Dance Company, and Mystical Arts of Tibet. You can find out more about the series at the University of Ozarks at ozarks.edu. The latest edition of The R Word, a podcast that explores reparations role in racial, social, and economic justice, features an interview with propaganda. Come from eastern side of Los Angeles, predominantly Mexican and and, uh, Filipino, you know, during some of the bigger movements in L.A. around hip hop, uh, skate, skateboarding, all that. So it's really, really cool, really cool time to be alive. The R Word podcast, available now at KUAF.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Still to come on this edition of Ozarks, an interfaith camp in Bentonville last week was the first of its kind for the region. And as I told the campers actually this morning, your adults will tell you that when you have these brilliant ideas, it's always a good idea to research whether or not this is being done anywhere else. And then learn what you can, glean what you can, and try and replicate it in your own way. The inspiration behind the Northwest Arkansas Friend Camp and some of the sounds of the camp coming up in about six minutes on today's show. 
Do you have an old car sitting around and are you looking for a hassle-free way to get rid of it while making a tax-deductible charitable contribution? Donate it to KUAF. We work with cars, charitable adult rides, and services to provide you with this unique way to support our programs. All you have to do is call 855-500-RIDE. That's 855-500-7433. Or visit careasy.org and schedule a pickup. The Arkansas Department of Human Services is releasing updated Medicaid numbers to reflect thousands more people who have been removed from Medicaid coverage. President Joe Biden ended the public health emergency earlier this year, which put an end to automatic re-enrollment in Medicaid regardless of eligibility. Last month, over 82,000 beneficiaries were taken off Arkansas's Medicaid rolls. Arkansas Department of Human Services Secretary Christy Putnam says this is part of a six-month unwinding process. Those who are no longer eligible for Medicaid can move to an employer-sponsored plan or can visit healthcare.gov. As of August 1st, over 900,000 people are on Medicaid in Arkansas. A 10-year, 1% sales tax in Sebastian County is being renewed by voters. Three-fourths of the nearly 1,800 votes were cast in favor of keeping the sales tax, which was first approved in 1994. Non-farm employment increased from June 2022 to June 2023 in 105 metro areas in the nation, including northwest Arkansas. Employment increased a little over 5% in the Fayetteville-Springdale-Rogers metro and about 1%, uh, 1.6% in Fort Smith. That's according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. In the Bureau's report, the Fayetteville-Springdale-Rogers metro added almost 15,000 jobs from June 2022 to this past June. The University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences is getting a boost from John L. Hunt. The co-founder of J.B. Hunt Transport Services is donating $250,000 to help establish the Hunt Family Fund for Excellence at UAMS. The fund will support activities of the UAMS Northwest Regional Campus, including funding a feasibility study for the development of operations on 48 acres of land in Rogers near Interstate 49, which is required by UAMS in 2021. Governor Senator Huckabee Sanders has appointed a new Secretary of Health. Renee Roberts has been serving in an interim capacity since being appointed by the former Governor Asa Hutchinson in May of 2022. Tuesday, she was appointed to the role permanently. Roberts has worked for the Arkansas Department of Health for more than 30 years and is a licensed registered nurse. This marks the second cabinet appointment this week for the governor after naming Jim Hudson as Secretary of the Department of Finance and Administration on Monday. The Clinton Presidential Center in Little Rock will undergo a major expansion. The Clinton Foundation is partnering with Studio Gang to design the project. That firm also led the recent design of the Arkansas Museum of Fine Arts. A statement from the foundation says the expansion will better allow the center to host exhibitions and world leaders. The expansion will also include the creation of the Hillary Rodham Clinton Institute that will hold her personal archives and papers and serve as a hub for her nonprofit and advocacy work. Foundation says more details about the project will be unveiled next year. And a familiar player to Northwest Arkansas baseball fans is joining the Northwest Arkansas Naturals. Former Arkansas Razorback third baseman Caden Wallace is being promoted by the Kansas City Royals organization from Quad Cities to the AA Naturals. Wallace, a Little Rock native, went one for four last night in his Naturals debut. Nats lost, by the way, to Wichita 5-2. Same two teams play again tonight in Springdale.
This is Ozarks at Large. Last week, Liz Emus directed scores of children and parents to take seats in the pews at First Christian Church in Bentonville. I think we still have some families trickling in, so we're going to give it a couple more minutes. This was the closing hour of the inaugural three-day Northwest Arkansas Friend Camp, an interfaith camp for children in second through sixth grade. Liz is the camp's director as well as children and families ministry director at First Christian Church and Waterway in Bentonville. Late last month, just as the first day of the camp had concluded, Liz Emus talked with me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio about the camp. She says this year's inaugural Friend Camp in Northwest Arkansas was inspired by a camp that's taken place for several years in central Arkansas. Personally, I had this idea, um, what I would call a vocation, um, a moment that I wanted to create an interfaith camp for children up here. And as I told the campers actually this morning, your adults will tell you that when you have these brilliant ideas, it's always a good idea to research whether or not this is being done anywhere else and then learn what you can, glean what you can, and try and replicate it in your own way. And so I cold called a woman named Sophia Saeed, who's the former executive director at the Interfaith Center of Arkansas, and they had been doing something called Friendship Camp for about now, about six years. And this was a couple of years back. They did not have a camp counselor, and that's one of the things that I'm pretty good at. So I asked if I could come down, float around, you know, get some ideas. Can I replicate this elsewhere? She said, absolutely. So I started planning with them in two summers ago's camp. And this year, I was then their camp counselor and their curriculum committee chair. And in this year, now that I am doing some things personally in my own work um, at First Christian Church, I wanted to produce this camp up here. What faiths are represented in these leaders? So this is, this is uh, amazing. We usually have these faiths in Little Rock, but they don't all teach on the same day. What usually happens in Little Rock is what you call the Abrahamic faiths. Mm-hmm. So Judaism, Islam, and Christianity teach every day. It's a five-day-long camp there, and it's eight hours. And then there's always a fourth rotating faith, and that could be Unitarian Universalist, Baha'i, etc. Up here, we're having all eight faiths. And so we have, let me get this in alphabetical order, Baha'i, Buddhist, for the first time ever, Cherokee indigenous tradition, Christianity, Explorer, which are those children or families who don't currently identify with a faith. They either never have or did and fell out or just don't know, you know where they want to identify, if at all, and that's completely fine. Then we have Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, and depending on who you're talking to, sometimes they fall into a Christian category, sometimes they do not. Um, And we are open to all of that. And so we also have members of the LDS Church, which is now up in Bentonville. What sort of—this is an interesting age. 
um, mm-hmm. rising second through sixth graders. So what co- sort of conversations or activities do you have? Sure. And that's exactly what we call them. They're conversations. We've made very clear to these families, this is not, this is not a VBS. <laughs> right. And Vacation Bible School. Right, for those Vacation who, right. Bible School. And a lot of a lot of Christian families will know what that is, but there are also a lot of non-Christian families who know what that is and are nervous about that, and understandably so. So we call these exploring or wonder sessions. They have conversation, but we're not here to teach. We're not here to convert, indoctrinate, or change anyone. That's not our goal. Um, so the activities range for each faith leader. The theme is make some noise, and the goal of that is to show these campers that all of them have noise inside of them that they want to make about something. It could be about video games. It could be about sustainability. It runs the gamut. They all have noise they want to make. And so how can you do that to not only be authentically you, but to help others in your orbit be authentically them? And so these faith leaders paired their faith, whichever it may be, with a value that's important and key to their faith. So for example, Baha'i is going to teach kindness and how they make noise about kindness in their faith. Buddhism will teach expression. Islam is going to teach compassion. Judaism is teaching something called tikkun alam, which is repair of the world. Now, I would challenge you, I would find it very difficult to pinpoint a faith or tradition that does not consider compassion, world repair, love, expression, authenticity, these things to be important. And so what happens in these classrooms is as these kids paired by stage, not by faith, so their groups are interfaith, they begin teaching each other. There's a teacher there, there are group leaders there, but the conversations that are had begin to teach each other that there's very little that's actually pulling us apart here, and there's an awful lot that can keep us together. So the activities range to your question for repair of the world in Judaism. The Northwest Arkansas Tree Project donated terracotta pots, potting soil, and sunflower seeds um, that they use to plant plants across Northwest Arkansas. They will learn what repair of the world means. They'll discuss a little bit about sustainability. They, in fact, did that today. And then they will take paint markers and they will decorate those pots to connote for them what repair looks like for the world or what needs repairing in this world. And then they'll give those out to their neighbors. Tomorrow, we will have our Buddhism class, and that's on expression. And my wonderful Buddhism teacher, Bethany Davis, purchased 65 uh, five-gallon buckets from Lowe's, and they will make their own taiko drums. So when they're feeling something, say something about it. There's no reason to hide how you feel. And there's, in some cases, no better way to express yourself than music. So I'm going to invite the campers up here to pick up their drum. 
and rather than teach them a song, they engaged in their own rhythmic play. Decorated as they see fit for whatever they want to express, and they'll use those drums in the closing ceremony on Wednesday. It wasn't that long ago in Northwest Arkansas, you probably weren't, as a young person, exposed to much outside of Christianity and maybe exploring. Sure. You know, sure. I mean, this area has changed a lot. And I'm just thinking about the experiences and the, the opportunities it is to be in a classroom, whether it's at this camp or in school, to learn about each other. There aren't very many. There aren't. Um, Little Rock's been doing it successfully for six years. This is the first expanded camp they've done. There's uh, hope and part of their strategic plan, if you will, to expand it to other parts of the state. Uh, but you're not wrong. Uh, and in addition to that, when Little Rock was looking at how do we do this, like what I did and I researched who's doing this well, they couldn't find mm. someone who was doing this. They couldn't find a group who was doing this. You'll usually get a faith camp, what whatever it may be, pick your faith, pick your tradition, Send your kids there. Summer camps are great because we all got work to do and right. the kids can have fun. Or pick your social outreach camp. Maybe it's at the Parks and Rec Center. Maybe it's at the community center. Maybe it's being put together by a local nonprofit. Also a great option. But there is no place where social good and practicing living in solidarity also occurs and is therefore demonstrated as central to the faiths and traditions that we value at the same time in the same place. You've done a great job getting eight different major faiths together at, for leaders. How do you make sure that you've got, you know, the patronage, the, the, the young people that are also reflective of a, of a different Oh, I, I, it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, one of the things that we do do is ensure that while our region may over-index, if you will, or have a majority of a certain faith, mm -hmm. that the camp does not do that. So the first thing that I do on my forms when families sign up, uh, I'm a childist theologian. So for that, that means these people these kids are the teachers, and rather than this parent-child hierarchy, we're all in an interconnected relationship. So I encourage families, when you sign up, ask your child what they identify as and be okay with whatever they tell you. And so part of this process, and what I love so much about this camp is the children are practicing their agency and their families are learning how to let them practice their agency. And in that uncomfortable moment, because as parents, sometimes we want to lay down, this is what we do here. You're creating opportunity for a different kind of mutual relationship with your kid. The other thing that we do is we make sure 
that as these forms, these applications are rolling in, you do pick what faith you identify as, and we do not permit the camp to go more than half Christian. Right. Uh, we're happy to report, though, that that was not a problem here. Um, we actually have more explorer children than we have Christian children. It's too late for people who are just learning about this now to be part of 2023. There will be a 2024? Yes. Yes. So that's the plan. We um, Every day, we finish our camp, the children go home, and we all gather in one spot and we have a debrief. And one of those questions that I've gotten asked is, are we doing this again? And my response is, I sure am. I hope the rest of you volunteers are. Uh, and it's been a, a resolute success. Um, the odds are that this will continue around the same time during the summer because the schools have extended how late the kids are going back to school. And we want to offer something that still gives families options and isn't competing with other camps. It may expand so that instead of three-day, it's four- or five-day. Um, it may expand deeper, meaning that it's three days, but it's a full eight-hour camp. Liz Emus is the director of the Northwest Arkansas Friend Camp. The inaugural camp concluded last week. Our conversation was recorded at the Carver Center for Public Radio, but we also attended the closing ceremony as children and their camp counselors sang Circle the World with Peace, a song celebrating the word peace, in several different languages. You can find out more at interfaithcenter.com or at the Facebook page for First Christian Church and Waterway, Bentonville. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Next time on Latino USA, Alzheimer's disease has become one of the leading health crises for Latinos and African Americans. And for journalist Yvonne Laddie, this story is also personal. Hi, Mommy. It's Yvonne. Do Iha. An intimate portrait of a mother's life before and after Alzheimer's. That's next time on Latino USA. Latino USA, Sunday afternoon at 3 on 91.3 KUAF. We do a lot here at KUAF on top of the things you hear on the radio every single day. Yes, one example of that is the Ozarks at Large newsletter. It shows up in your inbox every weekday morning. Today's, for example, featured the story about Voter Roll Maintenance we aired yesterday on the show, Kyle's interview with author Keith Vire in his book, Black Telecaster, the latest from NPR News, and a link to the Daily Word Game. Speaking of that word game, we have our own version of the popular five-letter word game that we create every single day. I keep saying we, like I'm doing these things. I'm not doing any of the things we're talking about right now. <laughs> uh, we even it's have the it the Royal the, Week, Kyle. The, exactly. Even on the weekend, we have our uh, word game. And if you're a regular listener of Ozarks at Large, it comes in handy because the clues refer to stories that you heard on the show before. You can find the link to that at KUAF.com, or it's on the top of that daily newsletter that I don't put together. That's right. You'll also find us 
out in the community with our Lunch Hour Summer Concert Series. We've moved out of the lobby of the Carver Center for Public Radio and into area McDonald's Play Places. The next performance is on August 18th in Fort Smith with Tylo May, a native of the city. You can find more information about that at KUAF.com slash summer concerts. Support for KUAF is provided by its contributing listeners and by the Walmart app. Presenting Beck with songs like Loser and Where It's At, Friday, August 18th, with French indie pop band Phoenix returning to Northwest Arkansas after headlining the Format Festival. Tickets at amptickets.com. This is Ozarks at Large. Do you have a question or maybe even several questions about podcasting? Well, organizers of an upcoming four-city podcast festival are striving to have the answers for you. It's the second year for the festival, but this year's edition is expanding. First up will be the podcast pitch contest on September 1st at Ron Robinson Theater in Little Rock. Then, September 20th, the session Unlocking the World of Podcasting will be hosted at the Fayetteville Public Library. The next day, Meteor Guitar Gallery in Bentonville will be headquarters for ArtCast 2023 Northwest Arkansas. All of this is being mustered by the Arkansas Podcast Collective. Last week, I reached two of the three co-founders of the Arkansas Podcast Collaborative by Zoom, Ty King and Brittany Rush. Ty King says the festival developed in part because there are plenty of people who want to try podcasting. Every time we go to a new location to go speak about podcasting, whatever the situation is, the most common questions that we still get every time is, I have an idea for a podcast, but I haven't settled on what it needs to be about. And the thing I tell people all the time is there's a quote you know, that says that great stories happen to people that tell them. And it's not to say that, that great stories don't happen to everyone. It's just that you only hear about the ones that actually put it to action and they tell you about it and they write the books and they make a podcast, they make movies about it. So if you don't tell anybody your story, nobody knows your story and they can't relate to it. They can't help, you can't help anyone uh, learn from you or to get some valuable advice, which you have, you just have to be able to get over that barrier to entry, which is usually yourself. It's not tech. It's not availability of programs or anything like that. It's yourself. It's your mental of, I don't think that anybody's going to listen to this, or I don't think that I speak well enough, but that's not true. There's always an audience and you can always start from somewhere and to grow better. And so we're constantly having to teach that. And I would say each one of these workshops that we have, it's not just us. Um, so you're not always always hearing from just you know Ty, Brittany and Karen. You are hearing from people who have entire businesses that are based on this, that are helping to have podcast studios or even uh, renowned speakers that have been on media. Uh, we've got newscasters. We've got people who are successful podcasters coming from New York uh, and just everybody you can think of who, who would be a great voice in this industry to be able to teach you from the beginning to the end how to do this. I think one thing that's great about podcasting is the democratization of the ability to share information or stories with people. You know, it wasn't that long ago. You mentioned Karen was at KUAR and in public radio for 20 years. There were very few of us who have access to this sort of avenue of telling stories or sharing information. With podcasting, virtually anybody can do it. And Ty, you mentioned it's not a tech thing. I think there are still a lot of people who think, though, it is a tech thing. I don't have access to a studio. So do you mind either of you elaborating on why that shouldn't be a barrier? Because if you have a phone in your pocket, which I would say the most of the population does, then you've got a studio. You don't need to be going into a, 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 a you know, properly. I mean, the studio behind me that you see here, right? 
It's got a lot of really nice equipment, but that's not necessary. You can start completely on your phone because the most important base element of any podcast is your content, which means what are you talking about and what value are you giving to people who take the time to listen to this? Once you have that, you can work on the other things. It doesn't matter if at the beginning there's a washing machine going on in the background. People are willing to move past that to get the nuggets of information that you're getting them if it's valuable. Pitch contest that's taking place at Ron Robinson Theater in Little Rock. How will that work? So with the podcast pitch contest, we actually have a form where people that want to enter the contest, they go on and they fill that form out. They submit it to us. Um, Once the contestants are selected, then we have a panel of judges We've got Ariel Nissen Black coming from New York. We have um, Michael Hiblin, who is over at Arkansas PBS. We've got Jonathan Seaborn at KUAR. Um, I feel like there's somebody I'm leaving out. Maybe we only have three. Um, so basically, we bring you on stage. We're going to give you an opportunity to really tell, like, what's your idea? What's your, How are you planning on executing it? Um, not only are we going to have the pitch portion where each of the contestants get feedback and obviously one of the main winners uh, or the main winner will be awarded with a podcast launch package. Um, we will also have a, um, I think this has actually been confirmed, but I'm not hundred percent sure. So don't quote me. We're looking to have a, um, a couple of people come in, um, that do improv comedy from the joint, one of the local comedy clubs here in North Little Rock. Um, and come in and do an improv um, little piece where we have a podcast a podcast name generator. And so they're going to um, enact the different podcast names that come up. Um, so just to kind of have a little piece that kind of breaks the ice again and, you know, gets people looking at the how you can come about it, but it really needs to be spontaneous sometimes. Um, so that's that's the plan for that event. And to highlight um, all of the events leading up to our cast, they're all free. So there's no cost to enter the podcast pitch contest. Um, if you want to come and watch, obviously we're welcoming anybody and everybody to come out and do that. It's a great way for people that are thinking about starting one, but don't have the full plan in, in mind um, to come out and maybe that'll help generate some ideas for you. Um, cheer on the contestants. And then again, we have the, the grand prize winner, they get a podcast launch package. So we get them in studio. Ty helps create their graphics. Um, we have, you know, the coaching session with them. They get time in the studio. Um, and then we do all the engineering and everything and help them put it all together and get it distributed. Yeah, I was going to say there's two things about that. Uh, one is the, the, the grand prize. So what are, what are you playing for? And it is a, a big podcast startup package. Oh, and equipment. So your big pod- podcast, you know, uh, package includes, you know, the, the first two episodes of your podcast that you propose that you won with. So we will produce it. You'll have an engineer in the studio with the actual, the fancy equipment I was talking about earlier. Uh, you'll have a coach, you'll have vocal coach, you'll have editing, you'll have bumpers is what they call it. So it's like uh, your intro, your outro of your, your podcast. Uh, plus your motion graphics for the video forms, whenever you put it on YouTube and we'll start your social channels for you. And uh, you also get a bundle of equipment that you get to take home yourself to get started in your own home office. Um, so that's that's the good start. Uh, and the big package that you win if you are the, the final you know grand prize winner. Also, Ariel Nissenblatt, who is a renowned you know podcaster, she's well known in the field, 
is taking her own time. We're not, she's not even taking pay to be able to come down here to Little Rock, Arkansas to be able to do this event. And it's her birthday. So it's kind of a special event. She's doing it for free. And to believe in Arkansas and the industry of podcasting itself enough to come down here and spend her birthday in the middle of Little Rock <laughs> in an event for that's a free, unticketed, nonprofit event. That's pretty amazing. And I think it warrants being able to, you know, that people should be coming to this event. You know, Ty, earlier you mentioned that one thing you hear a lot is, I have this idea, this concept for a podcast. I really don't know how to go forward with it. And I'm opening this question to either of you. The Rcast events, whether it's the one in Little Rock or the one in Northwest Arkansas, I get the idea that you don't even have to have a fully formed idea. If, if you listen to podcasts and you think there might be something there, or maybe you're trying to unlock that idea, this is a place that you can also feel at home. You don't have to be some sort of wizard at audio to, to get something out of this. No, for sure. You're absolutely right. Um, you don't have to know much about it at all. You just have to have, I guess, a vague idea of what uh, podcasting is. Um, it's kind of like if you wanted to make a movie, but you, you've seen a movie, you know how it works, right? Um, podcasting a little easier because you don't even have to deal with you know, special effects or scripts or any of that. So if you had an idea for a podcast, you listen to a few, you're like, I think I've got an idea where I can do something similar to the ones I've, I've listened to. We can help you. And so we have coaching programs. It's all completely free. Like I said, we are 501c3 program. Um, we have volunteers that can help. And so that's what we're here for. We're not getting paid for any of this. In fact, a lot of this is out of pocket. Uh, but we're trying to push the state in, in a mission towards being an industry that you know doesn't pass us by. We want to push podcasting forward in Arkansas and help the podcasters that are creating here. Um, you know, one of the conversations we had last week, you know, with somebody from the Arts Council was about how grants have been passed over podcasters for so long, um, because anybody that gets a grant in the audio space being awarded for their art is usually a musician um, when podcasting gets passed by. And they asked me, well, is podcasting an art? And it's kind of a, a question that's really easy to answer. Well, yeah, it is. Is 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 a movie art? It's been considered an art for a very long time, and you put just as much into these. I mean, a, a, a podcast about your life is a documentary. A podcast that is scripted and has fictional characters is a fictional type of movie. You know, and it's the it's very similar. It's just that we because we don't have the visuals a lot of the time, we don't consider it to be an art and because the low barrier to entry is another thing i think is why it gets passed over a lot and so podcasters haven't really had a champion in the ring until we started this 501c3 and from what we can tell we're the first in the country to actually do it we've had a lot of interest from other states that have asked us questions about what they would need to do to get theirs started last year we did we had we had a couple of different workshops um so anybody that was interested in getting that idea, we had a workshop for them. People that already had a podcast up and going that wanted, you know, more info about different equipment, we had that. So, you know, if you were already had a podcast, pe those people were there. If you didn't have a podcast, but you wanted to create one, those people were there. If you are a podcast listener, those people are there. So it, like you said, it is for anyone and everyone. Um, and the more people that want to share it and bring their friends, you know, we're looking to, get these places at capacity. So, um, yeah, anybody and everybody will be there. I'm sure there will be questions, people who have questions about licensing of music and rights and things like that. Will these be addressed 
during the, the Rcast events? Sure. I would say definitely during the podcast basics workshops, the one in Little Rock and Northwest, but also at Rcast, because everyone who gets on stage, they're going to be asked about how they create their content um, from beginning to end. What were some of their barriers to entry? You get to hear from people who are doing it successfully that found their own way. You know, that nobody starts off doing it perfectly, right? And so you get to hear their stories of where they struggled. And going off of last year, a lot of people you know, struggled with the, the licensed music at the beginning because it's just sort of a given in podcasting where you have to have that intro. Where do you get the music? Either you have a friend or you found a, an online software or you tried to play, you learned an instrument yourself just to play three notes, you know, to get yourself started. And so lots of those stories are there and uh, very, very encouraging for anybody that wants to get started. All right, Ty, Brittany, you hear someone say, but there's already a million podcasts. Why would I do mine? I'm not going to have a chance to get any sort of traction. Yeah. Uh, like we were talking a little bit before about is a lot of people think that they're not going to have an audience. And that's just not correct. It's just uh, it's something that you haven't proven. It's just an idea that you have to get over yourself. It's imposter syndrome. Um if you present the same amount of content that somebody else has, let's say you're given the same script somebody else has, you're both tasked with the, the, the job of creating a podcast with the exact same script, somebody's going to prefer you over that other person and somebody's going to prefer them over you. And it's just because of the way, maybe it's the way you, your inflections are when you speak, or maybe it's because you say it with a little bit more energy or a little more flatter toned. It's just whatever people prefer. I mean, there's 8 billion people in the world somebody's going to prefer you. There's an audience out there. They can consume more than one show at once and they're going to get they're going to go after your 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 content. So, somebody can take away some value from it as well. Um like I said, everybody's story is completely different being able to put it out there and here uh somebody is if you've ever reached out to anyone and been like, "Hey, what did what have you ever been through this situation?" And then you get a great story from a friend and be like, yeah, actually, I was kind of going through something must, similar to myself. Here's my story. This is how I got over it. And it's helpful for you, right? You didn't live their experience, but because of their experience, you learned a little bit of how maybe you can better deal with the situation you're going through. And it's the same thing with, with podcasting or movies or stories. It's gone on since the beginning of human communication. Um, and I would say people are worried about the, <laughs> like the market flooding, uh, which is you know, a common thing that people work worry about when it's any kind of content um it's i'll tell you what, what that's going to do in arkansas itself uh, specifically so if we start so we have a database on our website that collects all of the podcasts that are being produced in arkansas right now we have over 200 and i know that we are only hitting the the top of the the, the iceberg there and that there are so many out there that we haven't collected yet because they're not great at marketing but i know there's a lot and inevitably the more of these workshops that we hold the more podcasts are going to be produced in Arkansas, put out there on the internet. So if the market, quote unquote, gets flooded with a lot of different podcasts, that's going to force us into an area where it's not so much a demand for people's attention, it's quality after that point. It's going to push you to be better. It's going to push you to make better content, to be clear when you speak, to present an idea, but then also after that, then you can start focusing on your tech, upgrade your camera, upgrade your microphone, upgrade your lighting, your stage, whatever it is that you want to present. Do something completely new that nobody else has done. That's another way of overcoming it. You know, and it's funny, I don't, and I wonder if it's because podcasting is still relatively new compared to other art forms. For 34 years, I've been talking to various creative people. 
I don't hear musicians who are putting out an album say, I'm worried the market is flooded. I don't hear authors who are publishing their books worried that the market is flooded, right? And, and there are now more filmmakers in Arkansas than ever. They're not worried about that. So it's interesting that a lot of the would-be podcasters I talk to, that's where they go. And is it, I, I think it's maybe because we're still, relatively speaking, in the medium's infancy. I totally agree with that. Like, I think when people don't have that education, you know, it's easy to throw an excuse out there and be like, oh, well, there's so many people, you know, because especially as women, like it's hard for you to start something because you want it to be perfect. You want to feel like, you know, oh, I know exactly how this needs to go. I feel better. There's a plan. Let's do this. But, you know, a lot of times you'll notice with the podcast, there may be some inconsistency to how often it's published. Or, you know, sometimes there might not be um, a good agenda or, you know, that different things, but everyone has that different story. And so how they approach that, the network of people that they have, you know, like everybody knows different people. So, yeah, you may be talking on the same subject, but you get a guest in there, you know, and you get their story and you tie that into, you know, the reason for your podcast. I mean. I think it is. It's it's just a fear of, well, what if? Brittany Rush and Ty King are two of the three co-founders of the Arkansas Podcast Collaborative, an organization putting together ArtCast 2023 in both Central and Northwest Arkansas. You can learn more at ArkansasPodcasters.org. Kyle spoke with them via Zoom last week. For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. A Chico County native would become a college basketball star and a federal judge. Franklin Burgess was born in Eudora in 1935. After a stint in the U.S. Air Force, he entered Gonzaga University in Washington State in 1958. Playing on the basketball team, he led the nation in scoring in the 1960-61 season with more than 32 points per game. His number was retired after he graduated. After a brief professional career, he earned a law degree from Gonzaga. He entered private practice with Jack Tanner in 1969, a partnership that lasted until Tanner's appointment to the U.S. District Court. In 1980, he became regional counsel for the Department of Housing and Urban Development in Seattle and was named a U.S. Magistrate a year later. In 1993, President Bill Clinton nominated him as U.S. District Judge for the Western District of Washington to replace his old partner. He served in that role from 1994 to 2005 when he took senior status. Burgess died in 2010. To learn more, visit encyclopediaofarkansas.net. There is a new look for basketball courts at Walker Park in Fayetteville. This past weekend, the new look courts with a brand new mural unveiled with a party. The basketball shoe company And One teamed with the city of Fayetteville for the new mural. It's part of And One's national Paint the Park initiative. Despite some periods of heavy rain Saturday morning, hundreds of people were at the park by 10.30. And One was giving away children's basketball shoes in three different colors and free multicolored basketballs. And the new mural on the court embraces color too. Local artist Jeremy Navarrete's image of a muscular player flying in for a slam dunk against a backdrop of autumn colors and birds uses almost every color imaginable. Jeremy was at the park Saturday morning, and I told him the colors he used were splendid. Thank you so much. I actually took a lot of reference photos of, uh, of the area in the fall to kind of pick, my, pick and choose my colors to make sure they were representative. He says putting such a project together from conception to execution required that he take time to think about it. Think about it deeply, he said. I did, uh, and I really wanted to make sure that it was representing the area, in particular while staying on brand for the company doing the event, 
but I did want to make sure the community was represented so when they're out there they felt more, it was a addition to their home versus uh, something unfamiliar. He says to have his inspiration on exhibit 24-7 at a city park, pretty exciting. Absolutely amazing and a bit surreal. Tell me about, I understand that you had to have some help to do something this size. Yes, sir. I actually had my family. Uh, my mom and dad came out to help me out, which they were the big supporters in my artwork and sports as a kid, taking me all my basketball and soccer, all that stuff. So I had them out, my wife, my brother, cousins, family affair out here. Uh, what's that like? I mean, were you giving direction or is your family good at taking direction? <laughs> Uh, it, it was a it was a good and hard thing. Uh, definitely the artwork itself I was able to focus on, but that side of things was a whole nother challenge in itself. You can see the new look basketball courts at Walker Park in Fayetteville. KUAF is your source for news and entertainment on the air and in your podcast feed. With podcasts like Ozarks at Large, Resilient Black Women, The Lunch Hour, and The R Word. You can rely on KUAF to bring you a diverse lineup of culture and news you need whenever you need it. Find our entire lineup of podcasts at KUAF.com slash podcasts. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, a group of 10 black female entrepreneurs were selected as members of the 2023 Women's Economic Mobility Hub program hopes to provide training opportunities and build community. So it is empowering. I think it's energizing. And I think it's also a little comforting because of being able to relate and then also being able to relate to, you know, women that even look like you and that's trying to move forward. Ozarks at Large Santa Pope reports on the work the Arkansas Women's Foundation is embarking on at noon and at 7 p.m. on KUAF. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Salem Springs, and Panama, Oklahoma. Contributors today included Rachel Sanchez-Smith and Mark Christ. Additional reporting today courtesy of the news team at KUAR Public Radio in Little Rock. Our theme is written and performed by Daryl Sean. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellums. Kyle, today marks three months that a miniature human has been in my life. What are you going to do for the three-month party? Uh... He's expecting a lot. Probably, probably go buy some diapers. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, do you know what he said to me the other day? Nothing. He's three months I old. I was about Kyle. to say. Now I'm not a parent, so I had to think. There's like I don't think they're talking yet. A, a lot of oohs and ooahs. Um, right. We're still working on our vocab. All right. Well, you know, sooner or later, it'll come. Later. Oh yeah. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We're back with you tomorrow. Rave Cultural Foundation presents their Fall Master Concert featuring the world-renowned musicians of the Divine Trio in the Great Hall at Crystal Bridges, Saturday, October 1st, 4 to 5.30 p.m. Tickets and information at ra-veculturalfoundation.org slash events. Walmart Amp presents Boy George and Culture Club, headlining the Letting It Go show with special guests Howard Jones and Berlin, August 14th. 80s music, dancing, and fashion will take center stage this summer with chart toppers including Do You Really Want to Hurt Me, Take My Breath Away, and Karma Chameleon. Tickets at amptickets.com.